Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Meantime, on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline, a friend of the show. Um, high school phenom, from what I've uh, heard in the past, too, and uh, making some really, really good deals. And uh, if you read what Magic Johnson had to say, was the guy behind the uh, Pascal Siakam deal. Is that the first time? Chad Buchanan, by the way, is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. The first time you've received props in your life from Magic Johnson? <laughs> I think it is. I think he must have probably just Googled who's the GM of the Indiana Pacers that night and found my name and put it out there. So I can't say I have a previous relationship, but I'm, I'm flattered that he knows knows who I am. Well, I, I should have dressed it up a little better than I did. I was going to do something to try to make light of Kevin Pritchard as if he had zero to do with it whatsoever. You know what I mean? That's good. I just said, yeah. He had kind of a lot to do with it. <laughs> like, like, yeah, you know, great job, Chad. Um, good thing you stepped in there for Kevin to make sure this thing uh, uh, got etched in stone and solidified. I was going to start, and then I thought, yeah, maybe I shouldn't. So I'll stay right here. Hey, what, what do you feel about the fit so far? And, and I know this comes, Chad, without – having seen everybody significantly and healthy playing together. But what do you like about the fit of Siakam here from from this point? Yeah, so we've been, you know, big fans of Pascal for quite some time now. You know, for me, even dating back to his college days and always felt like he was a guy who played basketball the right way. He played hard on both ends of the floor. He really developed in Toronto. They did a fabulous job developing him into an all-around player with his skills, his scoring, his passing. And as we watched him you know, over the last few years and, you know, once we acquired Ty and we saw how – we were going to play with him and with Coach Carlisle, how we like to play. He just felt like a natural fit with our system. And so far, it's been everything we hoped for. And, you know, we only had tie for one of those games. But I don't think, you know, we win all these games that we've won recently this week without Pascal's, you know, comfort level as he gets acclimated to our team and how we play. And they're really excited to see the whole pieces together out there um, and see how it looks because we're very optimistic about the fit. He is Pacer General Manager Chad Buchanan on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I call either the road win at Sacramento a couple of weeks ago almost now or going back to that, that game that got you guys into the semifinals of the play-in tournament against Boston on that Monday night at Gamers Fieldhouse as your two signature wins. But was – was what we have seen from Thursday through Sunday, was that a signature weekend? It seems like that that is something that you look back on and you go, yeah, if we do something really strong in the remainder of this season, you know, that was kind of the turning point. That's what it felt like last weekend. Did it to you as well? I agree, John. This, those three games, were all of them were distinctly different, you know, in, in the matchup and just the situation. And uh, that game Friday night, our guys showed just a lot of toughness. They dug down deep when it was easy to be, hey, it's the second night of a back-to-back. They've got you down. There's a lot more talent, you know, probably on the other side than there is on our side that night. And but our guys showed an immense amount of grit and fight, and the fans were outstanding, got behind the guys, really in, injected a little energy into them down the stretch. And our coaches did just a spectacular job getting us ready for all three of those matchups because each one was different. You know, yesterday was a grinded out in the mud, ugly rock fight, and that's how Memphis always plays, whether they got all their guys or – or, you know, the group they played with yesterday. So it's it's encouraging to see us win a different type of game, you know, each time. You know, you gotta you gotta shut down, you know, potential MVP of the league on Thursday. You gotta play against, you know, three potential Hall of Famers on a back to back on Friday. Then you gotta go out and play against a team that probably a lot of fans showed up yesterday, didn't know who any of those guys were on the other team. Um, but we found a way each night, so it's really, really encouraging weekend. I was encouraged by Miles' play, and we'll start defensively here. Normally, when you have a guy go over 30, it's not like anybody's handing out you know, defensive accolades, but I thought it was a fantastic performance from from two standpoints. One is it felt like that was the first time in forever where, where Miles felt 
like he was just going to play tough physical D and not feel like that he has to, you know, stop everything, right? Or or stop Embiid because nobody's going to stop Joel Embiid. And they didn't, but they made it manageable. And the other thing was, I don't know if this was a, a concentrated effort by your guys, but it felt like they tried to make the entry pass from to Embiid um, as difficult as possible. Were those two things you guys looked at in that matchup on Thursday defensively that ultimately helped you out? Yes, our coaches you know, devised a, a really effective game plan, I felt, versus Embiid on Thursday. And Miles you know, had to go out and execute, as did the other guys. But t- players like that, as you know, you're going to give up 25, 30 points regularly to those guys. You just got to make it difficult for them. They've got to be difficult points for them to get. And you can't let, you know, a guy having an 8-0 run on his own really bother you, impact your effort or your belief that you can eventually try to wear the guy down. And now, granted, they weren't completely healthy, you know, on Thursday. They were missing, you know, a couple guys. But, you know, I think Miles was really active from the very beginning of that game. I don't know if you remember the first couple of possessions. He was really, you could tell, he was trying to take on the challenge that night because Embiid's, obviously, he's a beast. I mean, he's, he's, he's a lot of work to try to defend, and it takes everybody um, but Miles did a really good job of being active and just trying to make things hard for him. And he still got his points, but I felt like he, he really had to work for all those points. And credit to Miles because he's, he's a very, very difficult cover. He's uh, Chad Buchanan, the general manager of the Pacers on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Tyrese Halliburton had the quote after practice today, the plan is to play tomorrow for me. Is that your plan as well? Do you expect him to be participating in Boston tomorrow night? He went through practice today, and things went pretty well. I think we'll see how he feels tomorrow. Optimistic that if everything you know goes well and he wakes up, feels okay, and the medical staff, everybody is aligned that you know we'll have him you know give it a, give it a go tomorrow. So, um, but a lot can happen in 24 hours. Never never know until you know you wake up and see how you feel after a workout. Uh, but he's he's been turning in a, in a good direction for us. Well, he's not going to go home and work a jackhammer or anything. What do you expect him to be doing here between now and tomorrow? Come on. You just never know what the human body does overnight. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's here's one of the main reasons why I ask, because I've been quite jealous recently because the head coach, Rick Carlisle, goes on every Tuesday with Kevin and Andy in the morning and breaks news. And then Miles broke some news to Jake in the afternoon today. And I'm just waiting for a little bit of the share of the breaking news here, because what's going to happen is you're going to say, well, as long as everything goes OK, Halliburton's going to play. And then Rick's going to go on in the morning and say, yep, he's going to play so you got to help me out here what do you got you got any uh any good breaking info for me i think our our plane was like 15 minutes delayed for boston is that breaking news for you <laughs> why is it no That's only only if That's all i got only if it's because they're waiting on you to finish up with this interview with me <laughs> <laughs> That's not the case. I'm not that important, John. Gee, that does not help. Would they would they leave you behind if you weren't on the plane? Heck yeah, they would. Heck yeah. It's, they, they don't wait for anybody on that plane. <laughs> uh, Chad Buchanan joins us. Uh, what's the uh, deal with the TJ? I don't want to, I mean, it was a personal situation. What's the expectation for TJ tomorrow? Yeah, I think TJ will be back with us uh, tomorrow. He just had something uh, to deal with family-wise, and all is good there, and uh, he'll be back with us playing tomorrow. All right, so we're approaching, what, uh, two weeks away, something like that, the NBA trade deadline. Are are you guys on the phone? Are the phone's ringing? How are you approaching this thing? Well, we've had a pretty active month before that we got to, uh, you know, the trade with, with Pascal. And, you know, this, this time of year, when you, when you make a major change like that, you don't want to get too anxious to do a bunch of stuff. You know, that was a pretty big jolt to our team, adding Pascal. And uh, we're excited about his addition, obviously, and we're kind of excited about some of the young guys, where they're growing with their development. And we're not in a big rush to try to totally revamp the roster because we, we've seen some good things from this group. And, you know, if we get calls on deals that are, you know, make sense for us and help the team be better, you know, we're obviously going to listen. But we're not being super active at this point, John, on, on doing anything else because this is this was a pretty big change as is. I, I maintain this, and I said I'd be cool. Well, actually, two reasons. I'll give you the second reason in a second. But I, I just don't think, to me, at least I feel like I haven't seen enough of all these guys playing together. It's like we're enticed and there's been an appetizer, but you have yet to see consistently at all the main course. Is that how you feel? And is there going to be enough time to see these guys all together to make any sort of judgment prior to the trade deadline? 
Yeah, I don't. I don't think you're going to have enough window probably to really know your team now that you've added Pascal. It, you know, some teams take. You know, you look at the Timberwolves. It took them really a year to get adjusted to the major move they made, and they're, they're thriving right now. So, it, it, Tyrese obviously is is a guy that makes everybody feel comfortable pretty quickly. So I think we'll know fairly quickly on the fit uh, with everything and. Uh, but I, I think we've got to give this team some time to, to play together and, and grow together. And you're never probably going to get all the pieces on the court at the same time. And 82 82-game 82 NBA season, guys go down. And um, But I think we'll have enough feel um, once we get Ty back out there and what it looks like. And like I said, we're really optimistic about what that could be. Do you feel any any haste whatsoever considering the expiring contracts you have on this team does that factor in prior to the trade deadline for you at all not really i think you gotta also look at where can this team right now be you know obviously as as a front office it's our job to look long term but you also don't want to kick aside what's right in front of you if if you like this group has good chemistry and the pieces fit together and um, guys are improving. You know why? Why? Why make a change to that group just for, you know, a, a small asset that you may get in return that really isn't going to help you in the long run. Um, you know, we do have a couple guys that are in the last year of their contract that um, we, we haven't ruled out for them being here long term. And so to to move a guy just because they're in their last year and you're not sure if you're going to retain them, you know, when they're helping your team right now, I don't want to diminish the chances of this group. I don't think any of us do the diminish the chance of this group doing something special the rest of this season yeah noting that my opinion uh has no weight whatsoever i i want to stay i kind of interested in seeing what you have you have a really to me well put together enjoyable fun loving joyful type of team that you haven't seen enough yet so i'd be cool if nothing were done Joyful is a great word. That that is that is our team to a T. You you watch. I've always felt like you can tell how good a team is, how connected a team is by watching the bench during a game. Exactly. If you watch our bench last night was a great example. Ben Matherin has a transition dunk, and the the reaction of our bench was just it's just straight joy. And Coach Carlisle and his staff have instilled just a culture of joy. And obviously Ty brings that every day. And I mean, you watch Ty during the game. You could not watch the basketball game at all and just watch Ty on the bench, and it just brings a smile to your face because you can tell he just loves being around the game. He loves being around his teammates, loves being around our fans, and it's just it's a it's a great vibe with this group. And we got to be very careful to to, to disrupt that because we got some good vibes going, like you say. Hey, Chad, it, you see all the time. You, you get guys on the bench, especially if they're not participating, absolutely disengaged. And to a man on your bench, they all stay engaged with what's going on play after play. And that's that's really hard. Chemistry-wise, that would seem to be very difficult to come up with at that level. No doubt, because all those guys want to be on the court playing. You know, they're, they're all good enough to play. We have a team that's got, you know, several young guys who aren't getting a lot of opportunity. and But they look out there and they see, you know, the guy in front of them is playing really well. So they understand, like, hey, I've got to – I've got to continue, you know, biding my time. I got to work on my development as, as a player, and but in the meantime, I'm going to support the guy in front of me and, and the rest of the guys. And I think it, the culture that's been established, like I said, by our coaches, is just it's it's fantastic. And we got veterans like James Johnson, you know, who's very rarely sees the court, and he has major major impact on the culture and just the mood of this team. And everybody's kind of bought into their role, and they're all being a star in their role right now. And uh, obviously, we're going to hit some tough patches here. You know, we've, we've made it through. You know, we're almost done with January, which was a brutal schedule for us um, before tie went down. And we've managed to survive and navigate that schedule. And now we've just got to continue to grow. Um, we can't be content with, you know, where we're at and continue to try to climb as much as we can, both, you know, as players and as a team and up to standings as much as we can at this point. He is Pacers general manager Chad Buchanan. Uh, the plane is waiting on him right now. I'm a lie to say that it is, but I know it's not. Uh, the plane is waiting on him right now to go to Boston. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. You mentioned James Johnson. What, what does he do? We see what he does from the sideline during the game, how engaged he is, but some of the things he does when the cameras aren't on and we're not watching behind the scenes for this team. You know, there's lots of conversations that James will have that have nothing to do with basketball. You know, we have a couple of young players on this team who, who look up to him because of his experience and just his personality. And he can give guidance on how to navigate 
you know, different things that they're dealing with off the court. And he obviously provides a lot of experience and, you know, words of wisdom on the court, during the bench, during practice, on the plane ride, um, at dinners. He's, he's, like a, he's like an extension of Coach Carlisle's staff. You know, he understands what Coach is looking for, not only with the team, but with each individual player. And, you know, there's times where, you know, the front office, we'll talk to James about, hey, you know, we really need, you know, to get this message across to this player or can you help with this? And James is already like, I've already done that. I, I know what you're saying. I, I see it too. I've already worked on that. I mean, he, he's thinking from a perspective of, how I impact this team without ever stepping foot on the court. And he's embraced that and tremendous, tremendous uh, guy to have in your team. And this team is really follows his lead in a lot of ways. And it's made me and I think Kevin and Kelly and Ted and all of us appreciate the impact of a guy who never really contributes on the court of what that can do to your team when they have the right mindset like James has. So he's been phenomenal for us, both last year and this year. Yeah, until recently, Chad, the playing time has certainly escalated for Ben. And, you know, Jarris is, is still obviously he has, but he hasn't. How do you look at the uh, the rookies, the first-round picks, and what they have done to this point in the season from what you've seen? It's really dangerous to evaluate a guy too early, uh, especially when they're as young as Jarris, for example. Um, obviously, you got you got players in front of him that are playing well. That you know, as a coach, you're gonna you're not gonna disrupt the rotation just to disrupt it. Um, you know, and Jarris has got to kind of go through the the growing pains. It's, every player's journey is different. You know, how you get to where you're at. Pascal's a great example. Pascal spent a lot of time his first two years in the NBA playing in the G League, and we've had Pascal talk to, to Jarris about his journey, and um, I think Jarris is, in, you know, understanding, like, hey, this is this is a business, and I've got to focus on my development and do what's best, you know, to help me be in position to play long-term, and maybe a little short-term, you know, adversity and struggles is part of my journey, and I've got to embrace that, uh, but his time playing with the Mad Ants, he's had some spectacular games for us. Uh, he's shooting the ball, much better than I think any of us anticipated when we drafted him. It's been a major strength of his game for us so far. And with that component, you know, being what it is, we, we see more versatility in him, maybe playing some four, playing some three, um, which, you know, only adds his, his value to us long term. And still very, very hopeful about his future. And Ben Shepard, obviously, you see what he does on the floor. He's, he's just a, a bundle of energy every second he's out there. Um, and he, you know, he's, he provides, you know, a spark for us on a night like yesterday when, uh, it's just not a lot of energy on the court. He's coming out there and he injects a little life into your team. So, um, encouraged about both those guys. Obviously they're going through some growing pains as young players like they all do, but still encouraged by both of those and excited about their long-term future with us. Hey, Chad, a couple more things before I let you go. The Pacers general manager on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Did you have to feel fairly, if not close to completely confident that Siakam would return, would be here long-term for you guys to finally pull the trigger on that deal? I mean, yeah, we, we made a trade for an upcoming free agent. you got to you know, have some optimism that you're going to be able to be a long-term relationship. And I think, you know, when we looked at his game and his fit with us and, um, you know, since he's been here, I think he's been very, very happy and uh, it's been what he had hoped it would be. And I think he's been what we hoped he would be. And it feels like a, a natural partnership. So um, nothing's ever hundred percent certain, obviously, but um, I don't think we would have made a trade with the intention of playing a guy for 40 games and, um, you know, not trying to bring him back for a long-term uh, relationship. Hey, Chris Denary's listening to us right now. Were you aware of this? <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> CD's everywhere. He is everywhere, no doubt about it. Hey, by the way, too, I want to go back to the, the OB Toppin thing. Uh, and my mom's 79 and, and watches every game from Greene County and says, uh, I'm supposed to tell you that, She'll, she's going to be really mad if you trade Obi Tappen. All right, so do not trade Obi Tappen. I said, "Well, it's Tappen, but yes, yeah, I'll tell him." So I wanted to make my, sure you are aware of this. My she likes seven-year-old son would be in the same boat as her. So <laughs> she loves Obi. You know what? And it's it's beyond his play on the floor. I, I mentioned joyful a little bit earlier. He's at the top of that list of, of being joyful. And, you know, I watched a lot of those Knicks games last year and it, it did not translate to the level in which we see him here. Yeah. He, he has been um, joyful as, an, as another way to describe him is exactly right. He, he's really taken advantage of an opportunity 
of the way he likes to play, you know, his strengths really fit our system. And that's what we kind of hoped would happen. And it's played out that way. Obviously now you got Pascal coming in and, you know, supplanting him from the starting lineup and he's embraced it. You know, he's comes in here with a great attitude every day, uh, easy smile, easy laugh, you know, just loves being around our team. And, um, he's just one of the many guys who brings the, the joyful, you know, trait to this group. And, I'm um, really happy to see him have a success because, no, he was, he, he was struggling, you know, at the end of his time there in New York. And um, obviously they had a great team. And it just wasn't maybe the right fit at the right moment for him. And uh, this feels like a, a really good fit for him here with us. Hey, before I let you go, too, Daenery says that they just gave a boarding call, whereas Jeremiah Johnson said, yeah, let's just go ahead and go. And if Buchanan's not here, leave him. So I'll, I'll just hop in my car. I'll, I'll meet them in Boston. <laughs> I'll drive there today. <laughs> Hey, man, I always like talking to you. I do. Hey, if you guys got any pickup games ever going on up in Westfield, I'm going to be upset if I don't ever get an invitation. Cause I, John, I, I'm, I'm trying not to rupture my Achilles or anything oh. like that. I, I, if, I play, if, I, if I get a, a tea time this summer, I'll have you join me for some golf. Squirt some biofreeze on whatever area pains you, and let's go. All right, let's do it. <laughs> uh, I don't want to get lit up by you either. So. Well, you're not going to get lit up by me. <laughs> so, but you're going to have some fun. I thought maybe you're up there in that whole Westfield scene up there and playing pickup games. You're not? Five o'clock you know, in the morning. All I do is I, I work out my oldest son every now and then. I get my butt kicked by him. So I've kind of retired a little bit from the five on five. He's a player, from what they say. Player. He's had a good senior year. Hopefully, they, uh, you know, Westfield's had a good year. Hopefully, it's not on a good note for him. Hey, one of these days, too, if you guys still have a copy of that uh, offer sheet of a couple of summers ago, I'd love to put that in a frame on my wall. You guys still got a copy of that somewhere? <laughs> it's around here somewhere. I can dig that up. That'd be awesome. I'd love to frame that up on the wall, please. <laughs> and by the way, hey, thanks for the jersey, man. That was awesome. And I, I, got it, I understand that you get it. And uh, that was really awesome. Thanks for playing along with it. You bet, man. I appreciate all your support, and I know you love the game of basketball as much as we do, so I appreciate it all. You got it. Chad, safe travels, man. Thanks, John. Chad Buchanan, Pacers General Manager. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, uh, obviously had none of those issues growing up from ESPN, ESPN.com. Stephen Holder is with us. My my narration, oh my God, the JMV 88 voice is the worst of all time. Oh, man. That reminds me of, hey, first of all, never underestimate people. See, that's the lesson here. You know, if they could see you now. My God, but it's bad. I had this, it reminds me, I had this professor when I was in college and I think I was, I don't know, it was pretty early, maybe even like freshman year. And she was gung ho about like, you got to get every type of experience you can. So these recruiters would come to, to campus for like, I mean, from like the New York times and the Washington post. And I'm talking about like in the mid nineties, like that was, that was like going to play for the Yankees, you know? Yeah. And yep. She's like, nah, you know what? You're going to the interview. I'm like, they don't want me. <laughs> like, lady, I, dude, they were asking me questions, and I didn't even know what the hell they were talking about, man. I was like, I'm so far out of my league here. So, anyway, I've come a long way, I guess. But, man, I after I went to those interviews, I think they had the opposite effect. I was like, oh, I got no shot. They're asking me how many internships I've done. I'm like, I just got here, man. I don't know. Like, so. <laughs> Yeah, man, we've come a long way, my friend. Yeah, that's good stuff right there. I um, I got like four videos sent to me from a friend on our final day of high school, and it uh, it is as bad as I thought. It's so bad, it's great, but it is so bad. <laughs> so it is, truly. And All good. It's uh, Stephen Holder with us. Are you going to the Senior Bowl? I'm not. I'm actually I'm headed to Orlando to uh, catch up with some of these Pro Bowl players this week and see if – there's anything interesting going on down there so you know it's less about the the flag football and more about just you know the access to some some pretty good players so we'll see how that goes i'm not going to the senior bowl though um and i can't say i miss it to be completely honest it's not my favorite assignment but it is super important i will say it's like 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 chris ballard treats the senior bowl like i treat 
or he used to treat Skinamax. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. You know, that's yes. why he treats it. It's like you go down there, and I, I would assume you observe who he's watching, and more than likely there's probably a pretty damn good chance he's going to end up drafting him. Yeah, and, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, they have expanded the pool of players who are eligible now. So I, I, someone correct me if I'm wrong. I think you can go as a, a certain underclassmen can go now, which which would be a big game changer because in the past, you know, it was just guys who were, who were four-year players, and that eliminated a lot of really elite players in the draft. You know, if that changes, you know, that, that opens up a big pool. But I, I get why Chris Ballard, and he's not the only one, I get why teams are the way they are about the senior bowl. I mean, one of the, the problems in college is that it, it's not like the NFL in that the level of competition varies from conference to conference, from team to team. Uh, you know, who are you playing? Who's, your, who's on your schedule this year versus another team? You, it's very hard to compare apples to apples. It is. And the, the Senior Bowl does allow them to do that. So they can put all those guys on the same field uh, and under the same conditions and let them go against each other. And it does tell you a lot. Um, you know, I think if you have questions about a guy, it can help answer a lot of those questions. So it's a big week, and, and we know if you're, if you're into the draft, pay attention to who's there when it comes time for the mock drafts and all that. And, and if, the, if a player you think the Colts are interested in or he fits the bill for some reason, if he's a senior bowl product, put a little gold star next to his name because that's going to matter. I'm, I'm assuming to a level – that that has worked out. How well has that worked out to you? With with the observation Chris Ballard has with the Senior Bowl translating to him going after those players. Yeah, I, I think it's been I think it's been productive for them. I mean, one of the things that the one of the problems with the draft is that it's all a projection, right? It's a crapshoot. You don't know. So what you're trying to do is to answer as many questions as possible. And, and to try to find some certainties. You never really have any, but you're trying to at least aspire to find some certainties. And when you're evaluating these players, you know, a lot of the times, this is a big thing, a lot of the times you're trying to figure out, can this guy play a different position or play it the way we play it in the NFL? And, and if he's not in an all-star game, whether it be the East-West Shrine or, you know, the NFLPA uh, all-star game, I think they do still. Uh, any of these postseason games, if he's not in one of those, you you really have nothing but guesswork to kind of go on. So, you know, I, I really think it does matter a lot because you can put them in those situations that they are going to, in some cases, they're going to be in those situations for the very first time. Um, I remember being at the Senior Bowl of the year. Michael Pittman was there, for example. And uh, I remember interviewing him because I thought the Colts were – we're interested in, in receivers that year. I mean, they've had that need for a long time, so that wasn't that wasn't a stretch. And two things happened there. Number one, you get some interview time with the guy. Certainly, Michael Pittman comes across very well. That's the first thing, off the field. And then secondly, when you see his physical presence, I know that had to appeal to them, uh, the, the Colts, just the, the way uh, that he has brought that physicality. I mean, getting to see it up close – that's one of the things that, that coaches have told me is um, they like to see it up close. They can be there on the sidelines and really kind of watch the interaction. It's a, a whole different experience than watching film. I think you, you get a lot more takeaways than just what you see on the film, which doesn't show you what's happening between plays. It doesn't show you their leadership capacity. It doesn't show you how they interact in the huddle with teammates, et cetera. I think the Senior Bowl is huge, and and I know Chris Ballard is a huge believer in it, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's a good strategy. He's uh, Stephen Holder of ESPN, ESPN.com. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. There's a lot of these mock drafts. They're just really getting underway, obviously. But a lot of these mock drafts that suggest the Colts take a wide receiver, and I go, hey, great, okay. But then – 
in the line, they say the reason why is because they will let Michael Pittman Jr. walk. I I sit here and cannot imagine. I would take another, and then I would take an addition, right. but how in the world moving forward, with Anthony Richardson, would you even suggest them take away the security of Michael Pittman Jr.? Yeah, I mean, I think if this is a – as long as this is a – you know, an honest negotiation where people are being reasonable on both sides. There is no earthly reason that they should let that guy walk. I mean, Chris Ballard, in my assessment, would lose all credibility if he let that happen. All of it. Everything you've said for the last seven years, I don't want to hear it anymore. I mean, how can you take it seriously if you, if you, uh, in this this particular situation, you you've gone all these years trying to find your quarterback, right? So then obviously you have to now uh, equip him with, with the weapons, first of all. But second of all, there's the original message that Chris Ballard has always preached, which is we're going to draft our guys and, and re-sign our guys. Well, it doesn't get any more our guy, quote-unquote, than Michael Pittman Jr. And he's done everything that's been asked of him. He played the contract out. He, he played hard. He's been consistent that's the other thing like this guy hasn't been up and down he's been consistent he's been healthy very durable the concussion this year but outside of that extremely durable I don't know what else he could do frankly now some of this is going to be in Michael Pittman's court right I mean he he is a grown man and he has free agency at his disposal will they franchise him I, I don't know we'll see but but ultimately whether he gets franchised or not, I mean, he ultimately has uh, the right to go out there and, and see what the market will bear. But I, I, I would be not even surprised. I would be stunned if he's not back here next year. I just, I just don't see it happening. So I disagree with the rationale you're seeing from a lot of those, those mock drafts, uh, the authors of those mock drafts. I, I think them drafting a receiver is plausible, but, but not for the reasons that they are citing. So the, the pro is – the catches he has certainly the right. the anti I guess in this case would be the amount of yardage that come along with those number sure. of catches. W- which side of thought is most important in the Colts moving forward with a new deal with him? Well, I I think you have to hope that a healthy Anthony Richardson increases those numbers, and I I see no reason why that wouldn't be the case. Um, I mean, you just look at when it comes to, you know, putting the ball in play where he can get the yards after catch. Because Michael Pittman, in my estimation, I mean, this guy is very capable of high yards after catch numbers. I think he is the perfect guy for that. And, in fact, if you go back to – I'd have to verify this, but I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, uh, he had pretty good yards after catch numbers with, with Phillip Rivers that first year where you saw him – you know, make catches and be able to to gain yards after the catch because he was catching the ball in rhythm. That's one thing that Phillip Rivers, despite a very, uh, very inadequate arm strength that year, we all saw it, but the one thing he had going for him was just impeccable timing. He could get the ball to guys on those crossers that Frank Reich loved, and, and he'd get it to him where he could keep running and, and, and get yards after catch. So, if they can get back to that, I think I see no reason why uh, Michael Pittman's numbers in that regard can't be higher. I mean, he's never going to be, you know, sort of a an Alec Pierce average in terms of yards per catch. He's not going to be that kind of guy because that's those aren't the routes that he runs, and and he's also not a burner. But but he's a guy who I'm telling you, I think Anthony Richardson will give him more opportunities down the field. Uh, right now, he's just not getting those balls and. And it also isn't a focus of their offense as it relates to, to Pittman. So it doesn't bother me. I mean, what, what I want to see is when I need a play, who can I count on? And that guy is unquestionably Michael Pittman. There's no doubt about it. I, again, I think the, the numbers will, or the, the averages, excuse me, I think they will naturally increase. That'll happen organically, I believe, with Anthony Richardson. It'll take care of itself, I hope. 
So Stephen Holder of ESPN, ESPN.com is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I took this from Dan Campbell, post-game presser, where he was clearly down about their meltdown and their loss to San Fran in the NFC title game last night. But I think the thing for Colts fans certainly to take away is something we discussed when the Colts bowed out at the hands of the Texans in that final week of the regular season. You absolutely have to take advantage of those situations where mm-hmm. you have an edge. And you saw in the second half the edge on the road that the Lions had in that situation. They blew it. Now it's not the same level, but the Colts had the edge. A home game against the Texans, one earlier this season, they blew that. And that's what I was trying to get across in the point that I was making. Regardless of what you feel about the future and what you believe is going to be, you still need to take advantage of that moment. And when you don't, it is massively disappointed because no, nothing at all in the NFL is ever promised well I, I think you're right a great example frankly is the 49ers I mean they go to the Super Bowl what in 2019 and <clears throat> excuse me and you know we're thinking all right man this team is is primed I mean you know they, they didn't have a their quarterback situation has, has never really been settled but but they they certainly had a, a very good team so they go in 2019 um, I think the next year, I, I can't remember what happened next year, but like the, two years later, I think they go to the, the championship game. They lose. Um, last year, they get to the championship game. The quarterback gets hurt. You know, this year they're back, but I mean, there's no guarantees. It's a great example of how hard it is to get back. And there's no question they've had what I think is the most complete team, or at least certainly one of the most complete teams in the NFC for several years. Um, I, I think you can also apply this to the Ravens, too, by the way. Um, <laughs> look, they had – this was probably the best opportunity to beat the Chiefs that we have seen in recent years. I mean, if they were ever, you know, right for the picking, this was supposed to be the year. They, now, I think we underestimated them, to be, to be clear. And I know I'm getting a little off the subject, but, but I think it's related, right? Um, the Chiefs – we underestimated them a little bit because I think their defense was so good and we just didn't give it enough credit because we were stuck on the fact that, man, their offense is kind of average, you know, but ultimately Mahomes is not okay. He is not average. He's absolutely the you know vintage vintage Patrick Mahomes. And when, when the time comes, uh, he, he rises to the occasion. Lamar Jackson did not absolutely did not. So anyway, taking it back to, uh, to the uh, to the Lions, I think the same applies. I mean, that was what seventy years in the making, man. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's people most most people in Detroit in their lifetime, they've never even imagined that they would see that moment, and it the moment came, and they had the game in their hands. I mean, that's just it's crushing. It's absolutely crushing. Uh, I think as as much elation as they would have had by advancing to the Super Bowl. I think it has to be, even though they're, they're thrilled with the season they had, and they should be, I just think it has to be that much more crushing because it was so long in the making, uh, the fact that they fell short and in the fashion that they fell short. That's just really tough to swallow as far as I'm concerned. Then you had 35,000 walk out of Ford Field after that crushing defeat uh-huh. and knowing that you're walking out into Detroit and you're living in the state of Michigan, which sucks, sucks, <laughs> and sucks. Like triple threat yeah. suck right there. Yuck. Tough, tough scene, man. Tough scene. Yeah, no doubt. Um, <laughs> no doubt about that. Do you think um, in a similar set of circumstances, and this is kind of a nonsensical question, but I'll ask anyway. It's not like that's ever held me back in the past. But Shane Steichen, similar situation. You know, you're up 14, could go up three scores uh, on fourth down, kick the field goal or go for it. What do you think Steichen does? That is a great question. I it's not nonsensical. I thought it was nonsensical. No, because I, I, I think it's it was such an interesting situation. I'll, let me start by saying I had a tweet, and the problem is there's no nuance in these things, right? Like I I said, eh, I don't know if I love that call, but I didn't say it was a terrible call. I just said, look, I think there's a discussion to be had, you know. And I'm talking about the that was after the the last fourth down attempt, which I which I think was with seven minutes to go. And they're down three at that time. So in hindsight, the kicking situation was not great. And I, I do acknowledge that. Um, I think if that's your rationale, then I, I actually can live with it a little more. 
But whatever. Anyway, as it relates to Shane Steichen, what would he have done? Um, he's relatively aggressive, but I think he, he, he's, he's not formulaic in his aggression, if that makes sense. What I mean is I think he does take the totality of the situation into account. There have been some times when I, I thought he didn't, but generally he does. So what I mean is it depends on the game and, and the type of game. If you go back to the Baltimore game very early in the season, they won that game probably their best or most impressive win. And in that win or in that game, you know, he, he opted for the field goal more often than not. But I think that's the kind of game it was. And he realized that uh, that's kind of the way the game was playing out, kind of a, you know, a struggle for every yard. Defense was playing well, all of that. Um, in, in, in that situation yesterday, if the, if certainly the, the Colts kicking situation was a lot better this year than Detroit's. But if I put Shane Steichen in that situation with that kicker, I don't know. I think he, I think he might be inclined to go too. You know, I, I just think you, if you make it, you obviously control your, your destiny to a, to a larger degree, which is obvious. And, you know, that, that kind of, that kind of goes with a guy who's a very confident play caller who thinks that, you know what I have, I'm always going to have a play for every situation. And I know that's how Shane thinks. doesn't mean you're going to be right. doesn't mean the defense won't one up you, but you know, if you're confident in what you've got, um, I, I think there's reason to be confident in those situations. So, you know, I don't know. I think it would have been a tough call, but I could see a scenario where he goes for it there. I guess I only view it – well, listen, I would have kicked right there too. But I do view it as problematic if you're yeah. going by some analytics nerd, mathematics guy's chart or card over you and just your gut feeling of coaching up a football team in the moment. That's where yeah, I would find it sure. Now, I'll, let me be clear. I, I don't think – at least to my knowledge, I have not encountered this. I don't think the coaches who adhere to analytics, I don't think they look at it purely black and white. I mean, let's go back to Frank Reich, right? I mean, he believed in it very strongly. I actually was one of the people who who actually stood by him on that because I understood the, the philosophy. The philosophy was this. It was, hey, look, I want to know what the numbers say because it helps me make my decision, as opposed to, I want to know what the numbers say because I don't know what to do, <laughs> right? There's a difference. And it was the former and not the latter. And I think most coaches, at least the good ones, they fall into that category. They want to know what the numbers say, what, what the data suggests you should do because it will help you solidify your decision. So it's like anything else. You know, if you're buying a car, go get your consumer reports and read up, right? You're getting – it's information, that's all it is. It's the same thing here, the same concept, um, as opposed to making the decision blindly, you know, without having all of the facts. So it, that's really what it is. If you, if you make the decision on that basis, that's good coaching. If you make the decision on the basis of, well, that's what it says, that's what we got to do, then you're an awful coach because that takes away all of the other nuance involved in the game, some of which is, in count, is, is, is um accounted for in the data but not all of it you know not all of it and then there's also just gut feel which is why you know which is what separates good coaches from bad coaches so steven holder who's going to orlando for the pro bowl and to cover some colts i i gotta ask you because obviously we care and i know there's nothing new i haven't seen anything new but any any word regarding jim mercy no um i share your concern because i it, it feels like one of those situations where if there were good news, I would hope it would have been shared. Yes. Immediately. And yeah, you know, I mean that I, I think, I think everyone knows that, that um, all, all of those in the know, they're well aware that, that many people are concerned about them. Um, and, and I'm sure they know people would want to hear that good news. So I haven't heard good news. Um, I haven't heard any news but specifically good news. And I think that is what is a little bit un, uncomfortable right now, you know, just the reality of it. I, I just would think if 
if things, and hopefully they are, and hopefully no news is good news, as they say. But it just seems like right. with this and, you know, knowing him, who he is, how he operates, that if there was, that he would want that shared. Yeah, I mean, you, you, can find a, you, you can't find a more public guy. Exactly. You know, who is, he's certainly been um, as open as he can be about just, you know, parts of his life that <laughs> that most people never talk about, right? So I don't think that's a terrible theory, you know, what you're, what you're laying out there. So I don't know. All I can tell you is, you know, if you, if you believe in prayer, pray for the man and uh, we, we hope for the best. Um, but I, I hope we get some good news soon um, because I have heard nothing, and, and that's, that's a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, no doubt about that. It is Stephen Holder of ESPN, ESPN.com. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. You can read about his exploits in Orlando following some Colts in the Pro Bowl coming up. So there you go. Have fun down there. At least you'll be warmer. Yeah, be warmer, maybe wet, but you'll be warmer. So that's a good thing. Well, well, I'm I'm thinking about going and getting the uh, the old golf clubs out of the garage here. So I need some dry weather. All right, so. Well, I'm Let's thinking about I, I need to get like I got uh, the potholes around here are as bad as I've ever seen them. Like it, it raining for seven weeks, man. It took a toll on on the truck on Friday night. So it did uh-huh. big time. So, I, yeah, I think getting out of Dodge for a little bit right now, not having to drive around here is just probably a good thing until something can be managed because it is ugly here, especially in the metropolitan area of, of Indianapolis. Yeah. Bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. I'm right right in the city myself. So. All right. Hey, hang in there as always. I appreciate you. Have a safe travel down to Orlando there and back. All right, brother. Appreciate it. It's uh, Stephen Holder. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Right, Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline from The Athletic. He does the Colts. I think he's even doing the Pacers right now. So we knew this. We knew he was a dribble, uh, double, I should say, and a triple threat with whatever he does. Also doing the radio, as he normally does with us, at a fantastically high level. James Boyd joins us. James, how are you? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for the shout-out. I love floating around Indy and just trying to capture the moments, man. Yeah, it's good, too, because, I mean, you can do it writing-wise. I mean, you you just slide right in from one sport to the other, which, by the way, many people would say, well, it's just sports. How hard can it be? It is incredibly difficult. And then, you know, when you go ahead and make that translate to radio, it's even better. So job well done. Much appreciated. You know, I'm just – Saying yes, and then you mess up a ton, and then you get better, and then things work out. That's usually how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> what do you? Um, I thought I was talking to Chad Buchanan a moment ago. I know we've been covering the Pacers, but I thought this was this was a signature weekend of games. One that if things go the way that they believe and we think it could, it'll be a weekend that we remember throughout the season as maybe that turning point. You agree? I do think so. I think they were trying to find their rhythm without having practiced. But once they got the practice in there, you saw like this light bulb kind of go off with the team, but they felt more comfortable with Pascal Siakam. And obviously they went out there and just got some wins. Because at this point, we know the Pacers are a good team. It's just that unlike last year, they're not bottoming out, you know, without Tyrese Halliburton. They're treading water. They're winning. And so that helps, you know, like you said, coming later in the year when you need those wins to, you know, worry about seeding and things like that. So, I'm excited to see what they do next. Obviously, Halliburton being back tomorrow night will be fantastic. But, um, again, you saw some life after the trade, and, and the practice was huge. Yeah, no doubt about that. So, yeah, Tyrese Halliburton expected to be back tomorrow night. Uh, Miles told Quarry and Company today between noon and three that he's expected to be back tonight. I, When I was talking a little bit earlier, I, I don't expect them to make any moves. And I asked specifically, Chad, do these one-year deals – you know, give you a haste of a concern to make deals to do something at the trade deadline, and he says no. What do you think? I agree with him. I think that sometimes you can feel like you have to make a move just to make a move, but I think for the most part you just have to be cognizant of what you've done in the past. And the Pacers have done a really good job of not just jumping on the first thing and being very – 
tactful of what they've done. And so far, it's worked out very well for them. You know, obviously, although one of the most interesting things that Rick Carlisle pointed out, which is, again, no secret, he told us last week the Siakam trade doesn't happen without the Halliburton trade. And so for your next move, you can't just think, oh, we have to do it right now. You might have to be a little more patient just because, who knows, a year from now you might look up and say, hey, they added this person who wouldn't have been there had Siakam not come. So you have to be patient with those things. I guess not too patient. You want to always be looking, but, again, not just rushing out there making a move and then kind of setting yourself back from all the good work that you've already done. You know, it's funny, too, and James Boyd of The Athletic joins us, a little Colts conversation later on, NFL-wise, too, and then talking Pacers right now, you know, the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. But I, I look at it this way, and I thought Chad was right on this. You had three distinctly different games and performances really all the way around, which I felt showed the dynamic in which this team is capable of, of winning because those three games, Philly, Phoenix, and then Memphis were all different in their own way and all wins. Oh, absolutely. And I think one of the things that really stood out to me after those games is just who stepped up and went. You know, yesterday it was Benedict Matherin. When I was there on Friday night when Devin Booker went off, it was Aaron Neesmith who got the stop on him at the end. Obviously, Pascal Siakam played well. You know, there's just been moments where I feel like after the few games that I did cover last week in person, I could go three different directions with my post-game story. I can go talk to Andrew Nimhar. I can go talk to Ben Shepard because there's always that little bit of, you know, just, okay, this guy had it going this day. This guy had it going on this day. And so, obviously, you expect Tyrese and Pascal Siakam and Miles Turner to be your three main guys. But, but if the other guys gain confidence throughout this season, throughout these games, then I, I think that makes you more dangerous come playoff time because you can trust what you put in. You can trust, you know, these guys to be there when it matters the most. So James Boyd of The Athletic covers the Pacers, obviously the Colts. We'll get into some things in a second, obviously, uh, about the Senior Bowl, which is something that uh, Chris Ballard loves. I want to get to that in a second. But this schedule, you'll Philly, Phoenix, and Memphis, those are wins. Boston tomorrow night on TNT. At New York, Julius Randle. It's going to be weeks and not months for him to be out, but I'm assuming not going to play on Thursday at Madison Square Garden. And then back at home against Sacramento on Friday – Things don't ease up whatsoever. Your, your thoughts on the matchup starting tomorrow night in Boston and then those other two games in the remainder of this week? Yeah, I think the Boston matchup is a good one, obviously, because I think that's a measuring stick for where you are, not only in the East, but just in the NBA period, because they play some of the best basketball, I believe, in the league. I, they were my pick to win it all at the beginning of the season. I thought that adding Drew Holiday, Christos Porzingis, who I believe might be out right now, those pieces might have put them over the top. And so I would expect, you know, to see the value of a Pascal Siakam in a game like tomorrow's where you have that long wing. Okay, what can you do to kind of slow down Jason Tatum? What can you do to kind of slow down uh, Jalen Bryan? And what can you do on the other end to make those guys work in defense? And so that'll be huge. And then you look at some of the other games in the week. The New York game is one that's interesting because they played really high-level basketball, but then Julius Randle goes down. I give a ton of credit to – you know, Jalen Brunson, who's played outstanding basketball. And we know the the Wally Zerbiak feud, I guess, between, you know, Jalen Brunson and Tyrese Halliburton. So that's a head-to-head matchup I'm looking forward to. Both are playing great basketball. And I would argue that Jalen Brunson should have been a starter in the All-Star game over Damian Lillard next to Halliburton. And then obviously to close out the week, the Kings game, which I'll be going to, I think it'll be a good chance to see, again, what did that initial trade do for both teams? Because – you know, we see the Kings, they had a great season last year, pushed the Warriors to the brink. This year, they're kind of taking a step back a little bit. Do all, two, still have two all-NBA caliber players, and the Pacers have two all-NBA caliber players in their own now. So I'm excited for all these matchups. And I think at least when I left Friday night after that home game, after that home win against Devin Booker and the Suns, it was so loud in there, sold out. It sounded like a playoff game, and I was thinking to myself, okay, this is what it must have felt like when things were going pretty good about a decade ago with Paul George. What do you think about what, – what's your expectation? I mentioned this. When they got Siakam, I raised the bar on expectations, and then obviously Tyrese Halliburton missed all this time. And, you know, we viewed this month as doom and gloom with the number of games Halliburton has missed, but they come out of this certainly most recently looking really good. Where do you raise the bar with this group now moving forward? I came into the season thinking before the trade, okay, this team is a – 
first-round exit team. They're going to make you work. You're going to have to defend well. They might win two games, even push you a little bit. I think this team now, with the addition of Siakam, given his experience, is obviously winning a championship, being a high-level player himself, and just the way he fits into this team and what he brings to the modern NBA as being that long wing. I look at them now as a team that should win a round in the playoffs and can win a round in the playoffs. Now, obviously, we have to see more of what they look like when they're all together. Halliburton coming back tomorrow night, excited for that. And obviously, I'm hoping they all stay healthy as well so we get a really good sample size of them. But I think this team will be disappointed to just make the playoffs and get back bounced out. I think they, I think they have a real shot to – Make someone nervous, win around, and then see what happens from there. It's uh, James Boyd of the Athletic also obviously covers the Colts. Senior Bowl is coming up later on this week, and this is something that uh, Chris Ballard, obviously the Colts general manager, holds in high value. What's your expectation? What are you looking for in in covering this? In in thoughts on what Chris Ballard could try to hard target down in Mobile. Yeah, so I'm not making the trip this year, unfortunately, but I would, uh, you know, I, I look at it like this. We talk about where should we go, expenses, things like that, business side of these things. But just so everyone know, it's not that I turned the trip down. It's just we thought it was better to, you know, look at other things for this season. But I will say I, I will keep a close eye on whatever's coming out of the mobile, reading about it. You know, a bunch of buddies gone there as well. And I think for Chris, a lot of it is just trying to find maybe that person that was overlooked, which is what he's done in years past with so many players. And I look at some of these areas on this team where, you know, who's to say they can't find another linebacker? Who's to say they can't find another tight end? Um, who's to say they can't find another cornerback? Somebody who can help them. And so I look at this as a chance to maybe you're not adding, you know, uh, a day one starter to your roster. But if you look at their track record, they get guys who come in, who work hard, who develop, and then they become guys later on in their career. And so when you're trying to build a team around Anthony Richardson, obviously next year is a huge one. You want to try to build as fast as you can within his rookie contract, but it helps to have other guys as well developing behind him to help this team kind of firmly enter a new era. So I'm excited. I think for me, a lot of the biggest things I'm looking at at JMB is the defense. What can you add? What can you find down there, Mobile possibly, to help you with this defense that I believe was 29th in scoring defense for the second straight year? Yeah, I mean, and they go ahead and let go their defensive line coach and um, you know safeties coach, secondary guy, and, and Mike Mitchell as well. What's the dynamic behind that? Is is the belief in in Gus Bradley to move forward next year, but also doing some rearranging um, and with what you said in mind? Because it's a defense that absolutely has to improve, and certainly in the big moments, it, you saw how much worse it could be. Yeah, this is a question I would love to ask Chris Ballard and Shane Steichen, honestly. And I was a bit surprised with the Nate Ali departure, and I'm just curious to know, okay, was it more so his decision or somebody else's? Because obviously the defensive line, they didn't get enough pressure as you still would like in some of the numbers, uh, just based off of Gus Bradley not, not blitzing a ton. So maybe, you know, uh, these guys didn't have the help up front that they might have needed to generate more pressure. However – they did have an Indianapolis record, you know, 51 sacks. And so I don't think you look back on the season and say they had a terrible defensive line performance. But um, I'm curious to know, okay, what led to this decision? Because Nate Ali was a guy who was respected by, you know, pretty much I thought everyone in the building, and I'm sure that's probably still the case. The players, the defensive line loved them. And so I'm just wondering what changed there. And then Mike Mitchell, um, I don't know. What happened, I do understand this maybe a little bit more because of the explosive play they gave up in the secondary. Something has to change, and maybe that starts with some of your personnel, some of the people who are teaching your players where to be and how to be, you know, right positions. But I do wonder if, you know, this was just something that had to happen to say we're not going to be the same. Maybe we have some of the same philosophies or the same principles, but we have to tweak some things here and there to get to where we want to go. So, um I'll be asking Chris Ballard that very soon next time I see him. Um, I don't know if he's going to be, uh, you know, thrilled to answer it, but it has. It's a question that has to be asked for sure. Did uh, that that tweet regarding you know, the hit on Michael Pittman Jr. You think have any bearing whatsoever, or was the writing on the wall, the uh, wall for Mitchell with all that in mind? I'm not sure, but I will say this: it probably didn't help. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. when it came out, I thought it was kind of bizarre, just considering how seriously 
um, hurt that Pittman could have been, and he really was after we found out that he was, you know, couldn't remember where he was and was a late scratch, all those things. I just felt like time and place was the biggest thing in that. Like, was he wrong in his feeling about, you know, how the game has changed? Maybe not. However, you know, you as the former Steeler can't come out immediately and defend the Steeler who hurt your current, you know, wide receiver with your current team with the Colts. And so um, I just imagine that, you know, firing off that tweet did not help the situation at all. And then it just makes you part of the conversation when you weren't going to be anyways. We were going to ask Gus Bradley and Shane Sykin about that hit. And even, you know, Jim Bob Cooter as an offensive mind, but I think with Mike Mitchell, we don't speak to you regularly anyway. So now when you say something like that, we don't have a chance to follow up with you for you to clear up anything. Once it gets on Twitter, man, it takes a life of its own. I've made mistakes that same way, tweeting stuff I shouldn't have, and I think it just didn't help the situation at all. Yeah, I remember that time when I uh, I sent out a tweet calling Adam Schefter a douchebag, and that didn't go over well for me here with ESPN. So that was a good one. That was one of my best right there. Those moments when I got black <laughs> when I got blackballed by ESPN on Radio Row during the Super Bowl at the JW Marriott. That was not that was not something I needed to put on the resume. It wasn't a badge of honor by any stretch. So I know what you're talking about too. I, it could be this though. It could be maybe he knew. That again, the writing was on the wall and just kind of felt empowered because of that, too. I guess that could play a role. Perhaps, but even then, I'm like, you're in the middle of a playoff push trying to get to the playoffs, trying to make something of what could have been a terrible season, you know, be even a better season. And then that becomes a distraction. And then just thinking about Shane Steichen's first year overall, how many distractions JMB did he deal with throughout the season? I mean, it started with the JT stuff, we had the Grover Stewart suspension. Even before all that, he was answering for why Isaiah, you know, Rogers, you know, or, or things going on with the gambling and stuff like that. And so that was another thing thrown onto his plate that just didn't need to be there throughout what ended up being still a very good season. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny, too. When Dan Campbell was talking after that loss and he talked about how more how much more difficult it was going to be next year and how that was a missed opportunity on a much lower level that's exactly how i felt and what i talked about after the colts lost at home to houston in that final regular season weekend is it just a mammoth missed opportunity that you have because you are promised nothing, whether you're the Lions and you're the feel-good story of the postseason until yesterday or the Colts just trying to punch your ticket and be a better team. You're not promised anything. You have to take advantage of those moments, much like we saw the Lions, unfortunately, melt down in the second half last night. Yeah, the game is the game, man. I think about this so much when I'm writing because – if you think about just certain plays here or there, they change history sometimes. That sounds dramatic, but it's true. You know, if the Brandon Ayuk, you know, dropped interception reception that he had doesn't happen, if the you know Detroit player picks that off, then we're talking about, oh, my gosh, Detroit, what a magical run. They, they kept it going. And 49ers, do they have to reevaluate who their quarterback is because Brock Purdy threw this terrible interception? This morning was all about how great Brock Purdy is, and he played a great game, but it just reminds you of how, you know, uh, cruel the game can be. And one of the things I saw on Twitter last night that made me laugh was um, someone tweeted something like, we saw God, uh, you know, switch his jersey in real time. That's what it felt like. And so, um, you know, I I love this game. I love covering sports because of that. But it can be cruel, man. It can very much humble you. I think Kenny Moore tweeted that yesterday. The game will always humble you. And sometimes, you know, it's just cruel. There's no rhyme or reason for it. One bounce here or there, and you're the victor or you're the loser. And that's how it goes. And there's there were there were some, at least in my mind, maybe it was because it was a loss in both circumstances. But there were some, to me, similarities on how the game went down for the Colts in, in Baltimore. Maybe it's because it was improbable. Many felt Kansas City going in was going to be improbable. But that game yesterday and what I thought about with the Colts coming out with that win earlier this season, I mean, you, you talk about just kind of letting everything down and not being what you were for most of that season. Both of those are examples of who Baltimore was not again for the most part, in the other games this year? Oh, absolutely. I mean, watching them, I was just waiting for that breakthrough moment. It felt like that with the Zayn Flowers touchdown early. And then you just saw a bunch of immaturity, I felt like. You know, Travis Kelsey baited them into some unsportsmanlike conduct penalties. You have the guy who 
hit Patrick Mahomes, who everyone knows you can't touch. He's the new era or the new age Tom Brady. You can't hit him. So that you, don't do it. You know what I'm saying? You know, or at least don't do it so egregiously. And then you have Zay Flowers, who I felt like when he had the ball punched out at the one-yard line, the fumble in the end zone, that was the game. Because at that point, you know, you score. It's 17-14. It's 15 minutes left in the game, 14 minutes, whatever it is. And you have all the momentum, or you took the momentum back. After that, that was like just a gut punch because the defense showed up, but that offense did not look good. And, you know, you look at some of the things that happened over the weekend, and you just, you just know that certain guys are going to get a ton of criticism. You know, for the, the Ravens, it's Lamar Jackson. For the Lions, it's Dan Campbell. But um, that's the game. And I joke with some of my friends and family about it, and it's like, I don't know what the players and coaches do. Do you go home and, like, you know, look at your wife or look at your bank account and say, oh, well, life's not too bad? Or, or how do you get over something like that? Because I know as competitors it's thing. Yeah, you, you, just, you think, like Philadelphia last year, I agree, you made it to the Super Bowl, it was close, you lost, but then look how the season evolved or devolved in this case for them, yeah. you know, going into the postseason. And, you know, if, if you're a Lions fan, you're probably thinking, yeah, maybe we lose our offensive coordinator out of this too. And you're just kind of thinking the worst because it is that stinking difficult to get back to. That's why you got to take advantage of a 17 point lead, you know, on the road in the second half. And you got to take advantage of a home date against Houston, even if you have a backup quarterback and things do look bright. You got to take advantage of the moment. Absolutely, I felt the same way when the Colts' this season ended, and I know everyone is excited for next season. And they should be. It should be an opportunity to take another step forward, but there is no guarantee because when we look at what Jacksonville was able to do in 2022, making the playoffs, obviously they had that you know, um, you know, I believe it was the crazy comeback and all that. You think, oh man, this 2023 is their season, and early on it looked like that, and they they bottomed out. And then you look at what Houston did this year, you're like, oh, CJ Stroud, man, it, everything is going looking up. There's no guarantee that next season he comes back and leads us to the playoffs. And so I think Shane Steichen, in his truly just non-cliche way, said that every season is different. And so you want to build on what you've, you, you know, you've, you've, you've kind of developed for your team. However, you can't just hang your hat on that and just assume that you're going to be back there because you're not some cases. I mean, my dad tells me all the time when I bring this stuff up, he's like, man, everyone thought Dan Marino was going to get back. It never happened. And so you think about that with Philly and other teams. And so obviously the Colts aren't in that position just yet. You know, worrying about, do we get back? and Can we get there? Right now, just get healthy, make it interesting next year. And hopefully, in my, I guess my own personal selfishness, I would like to cover a playoff game next year. So, Anthony Richardson, if you're listening, you know, that would not be something I would be against. Put it like that. <laughs> so James Boyd of The Athletic covering both the Colts and the Pacers. And what are you writing about next before I let you go here? I'm actually writing right now about tight ends. Um, everyone's asking about Brock, about Brock Purdy. Not Brock Purdy, Brock Bowers. Um, obviously, I'm giving you an update here, I believe, this week on Jelani Woods, what's going on with him, why he missed the entire year. Um, some of that stuff is already out there. But it's just taking a look at what are the Colts' options when it comes to that position. I'll have some other things coming out, too. Um, stay tuned. I'm working on this big Shane Steichen piece that I've reached out to people about and trying to crack the code of who this guy really is. It's a fun one, and so I'm excited about that. And like I said, I'll be doing some Pacers coverage here or there. So for me, my offseason is like basically my recess. I get to just float around, do more of what I probably want to do, um, and enjoy myself with uh, the sports here in Indy. The Shane Steichen piece, I'm assuming, is one of about 2,000 words. And what, Shane, give you about seven? I was going to say it might be about eight, you know, <laughs> uh, put the over under an eight and a half, you know. Yeah, what I'm yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's the, that's the joy of being a reporter is when you do have those people who don't talk about themselves or have all the money quotes like Reggie Wayne, it forces you to really do your job, be better at your job, and go talk to people who might know a little bit more. And so I've enjoyed – that excursion so far, it hasn't been easy, but I promise you, when you see the story, there'll be some gems in there that'll make you uh, smile. I love it. All right, James, always a pleasure, man. Always good to run into you. We'll see you again soon, I'm sure. All right, sounds good, man. You have a good one.